Hi, I'm Alex Mustard, and I'm here with Ian and Gemma from the Big Scuba podcast, Off Gassing. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. Welcome back. We are here. My name is Ian, and also on the line is... Gemma. My name is Gemma. My name is Gemma. Yes, we're all back, and we are back for number 47 today we are going to do something slightly different i'm not going to run on about the number uh i know you're probably all looking forward to that i'm sorry to disappoint but hey let's give you something something new but before we do that just tell you what's coming up today's episode is regarding our special guest really excited about this one jim yeah it's dr alex alex mustard MBE. So MBE. we'll be welcoming welcome them, Alex, to the show very shortly. So, um, well, what can we say? The weather's been awful. We haven't been diving. The dry mm. suit is still hanging up and it's very, very dry, which is not particularly great. And um, yeah, so it's pretty miserable outside, isn't it? One or two degrees and... Uh, Just a bit... Dank and dank. It is, yeah. Uh, we looked at the river to see where we could get in the river, didn't we, a couple of days? It just out, just brown, murky, um, uh, appeal, not going to see nothing, so not no. point. And because of the tier system in the UK at the moment, a lot of the inland waters are in the high tier, tiered areas and we can't cross. We can't uh, travel into those tiers, so we've got to be careful. No, we are where we are, so uh, we haven't been dying for a bit, but we are biting that bit to get in the water, aren't we? Yes. Very soon. Let me just tell you, I noticed in the news, give you a little bit of news, Gem, that our good friends over at Manta Trust, shout out to Simon Hillborn, yes. uh, they have a competition that's going, which is running to the 20th of December. So uh, if you want, if you've got, you've got, we've got time, if you're listening to this and you're about to download it, you know, have a listen and you'll see that Manta Trust have got a competition going. We'll put some, a link in the notes and you can name the 5,000th Manta. Wow, that's a lot of Mantas. Here's a hint. We're still, we're still waiting for the big scuba manta. The big manta, yeah. We are, so uh, the big manta. So uh, <clears throat> just, a, just a subtle hint, <clears throat> big, big manta or big scuba manta would be really great. Either would be fine, wouldn't it? Or the B-I-G manta. The B-I, not the B-F-G, the B-I-G. Right, that would all be good. Uh, so that is manta trust. And actually you can listen to Simon Hillboard. He was on... Uh, a few episodes earlier, uh, just knock it back a few to 43, um, yeah. when we talked about uh, all the mantas and all the exciting stuff that they're doing at Manta. And before that, we spoke to the Manta Pacific. Yeah, so, man uh, they're based in Hawaii. They are, they're, they're the other part of the globe. So um, I think we kind of covered mantas there, Gem, don't you think? I think so, they're well covered. They are. Um, Let's just tell everybody about how about we tell everybody about our phone? Yeah, we've, phone. Got, we've got a big phone. <laughs> We're calling it the bat phone because being a uh, bit of a comic reader and also um, be, always being a fan of Batman, you, you know, you've got to have an excuse to have a bat phone. Well, now we've got the bat phone. Now, 
we thought would be really good. The idea behind it, I don't know if do you remember to your youth gem? Do you do you ever listen to the great Pete Tong on a Friday night? Yes. And some of his uh, colleagues and fellow DJs used to phone in on a Friday night, let us know what they where they're playing and where they like where the cruising, yeah. Where the cruise is, what's going on. So what we thought, we'd take a little bit of inspiration from the, the, the great man, Pete Tom, and have a phone that people can phone in and leave us a message. It's got to be polite, you know, it's a family show after all. Uh, but leave us a message and we'll read it out on the show or we'll let it play of where you are going diving. So it can be, it's open for anyone, you know, open for anyone in the globe. Yeah. You're off diving, so not just UK. Let me just give you the number if you want. Um, why do I never have these things organised? <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. Right. Okay. The number that you need, and this will be going out on social media. And you can actually, with the great thing about WhatsApp, is that you can just send us a voice message. And it's or free. a video. Or a video. Or a video. Yeah, and we'll play it. You know, again, it's got to be family friendly. Okay. Uh, so the number you need is plus 44-7810-005924. Let me give that to you once more. It is plus 44 It's a new thing. I know it might take a little while for it to bed in and get going, but how cool would it be to hear where everyone's going diving? Exactly. You know, kind of, kind of, you know we're in the UK, we're, we're sort of like in the closed time, a lot of people sort of hang the dry suits up and wet suits up this time of year, but, you know, we are global. And if you're using WhatsApp, it's free. It's free. So no matter where you are, just send it in, send us a voice message and let us know where you're going diving. Have a bit of fun. Have, 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 a, have a bit of fun, yeah. You can even just... Leave the message, say hello, whatever. It's your time, it's your space. Any questions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ask your friendly dive master, we'll give it a go. <laughs> so that's the big bat phone. That's the big bat phone, yes, there it is. Um, also, we are going to be, um, what's the word, partnering up um, on a small scale with our good friends over at Scoobaverse. Yep. And we're... we're <laughs> crazy they, they, they got me crazy they're going to give us a window of a column once a month and 400 words and we are going to be journalists <laughs> our thoughts of running a scuba podcast so jem's going to do your half aren't you jem yes and i'm going to do my half and the only column i know is jeremy clarkson from past so jeremy clarkson's is going to be my inspiration so well, that'd be a, that'd be a first for Jezza. So, uh, um, uh, so that's the phone. That's the column. So look out for that on Scoobaverse. Will be yeah. Um, adding our little tuppence worth, as they say, to uh, to the column. Would be really good. Look forward to that. Best of cheer. Sorry. Best of cheer. Best of cheer. Absolutely. No, festive cheer. cheer. Festive cheer. <laughs> Didn't you just love it when it all go to plan. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, yes, festive cheer. Uh, we just had gone live with Peter Millers 
um, mm -hmm. podcast, which is really good. And uh, that was really exciting to hear what they do. Uh, although we had a little bit of an insight, didn't we? With, yeah, we did. Uh, Mike Fink. But, you know, it was really good to hear Peter and Peter's travels and his diving experiences as well. So, yeah. Okay. Um, look out for that. And before that, we had Will Appleyard talking to us and his friends talking to us about the wild and tempered sea book that he brought <laughs> out so if you haven't bought that book yet why not anyway so they are previous episodes coming up in... and we've spoken to some exciting guests in the last few weeks and they'll be out soon won't they we have we have and uh, i'm looking forward to them it's just been all go Gem. i don't know where we find the time i don't know either <laughs> don't know anyway uh so Let's move on. We've got an, a brilliant guest. Uh, he's been involved in loads. If, you, uh, if you're if you a fan of social media, if you read any particular diving books, you can, you know, there's loads out there. Chances are you have seen some of his photos uh, because, you know, uh, Dr. Alex Mustard, he has been doing this for years. And, you know, he's done some really amazing stuff. Uh, so, you know, uh, I want to say thank you very much for Alex to, uh, you know, joining us and coming on and talking to us. So, because uh, I know he's really, really busy. He's, you know, yeah. just before he spoke to us, he'd been to Scotland and took a group up to Scotland on a uh, photography sure. course. Yeah. And actually, one of our other guests were on there as well, uh, Christine Grosshart. You know, people just think we throw these episodes together. We throw them in the air and we they all... We have a plan. We do have a plan. Let me just give you a little bit of um, an introduction to Alex, Alex Mustard, MBE. He's 44 from the UK. He's widely regarded as one of the world's leading underwater photographers. He has been taking photographs underwater since he was nine years old and has worked as a full-time underwater photographer since... 2004 gem. His photographs have won many awards, including regularly in the BBC Wildlife Photographer of the Year, appearing in 10 different books of winning pictures. Didn't I just say that? If, you, if you're looking at any of his stuff, any magazines, chances are you will have seen his photos. Absolutely. And he's got a new book out. Yeah, Diving the Thistleball. Dive the Thistleball, which I've done. It's a brilliant dive. It's great. We talk about it. And uh, that's one gem that's got to be on your to-do list. On my top list, yeah. It's, it's a great one to do. And, um, yeah, we talk about that. And he's got a really good, you know, that is a good book. Lots of, lots of good coloured photographs for me to look at. <laughs> and it's published by the same company that did Will Appleyard's book, Wild and Dived Up Publications. Dived up. Yep. Hello to you, you guys. Um, so uh, you do some brilliant stuff, and this is um, just yet another one. Yeah, a little book collection. Yeah, a lot of book books, a lot of books. So, okay. Um, so let's just recap before we go to Alex. So phone. Got to remember phone. Leaves the message. Oh, the number will be in the show notes. Man of Trust, they've got, they need a name, okay? Big scoop, big scoop. Uh, a column going out on Scoobaverse. That's going to be us. And also, we've just done some other great guests, Peter Miller, yeah. etc. So, uh, we've had a few books to share. Okay, so that's it from me for now. 
Jen, any other thing else we need around? No, I think we need to get straight on and listen to Alex Mustard. And this is part one because we had such an interesting conversation. We've made two episodes out of it. I know, we, we, we book our guests for an hour <laughs> and then somehow we just get chatting away over a cup of tea and before you know it, it's like two hours in. My goodness. Right, let's get on with it. Let's get on with the show. So here is Alex Mustard, episode 47. So, Alex Mustard, MBE, thank you very much for joining us on the Big Scuba podcast. So online, we've got Gemma, Ian and Alex. And um, so let's get straight in. Alex, uh, tell us a little bit about you and, um, you know, why, you know, what got you into diving and everything? Um, Well, for me, it's very much been a a lifelong passion. But um, so I, but my passion has been, I would say, more in underwater photography and marine life. And obviously, both of those are activities that benefit a lot from being a scuba diver. So scuba diving for me has always been a tool to allow me to do the aspects of the hobby you know, that I really enjoy, which is taking pictures underwater and, and seeing marine life. But I think that's quite a good thing to have as a diver because it, it, it hooks you in and it sucks you in and makes you want to take pictures. So um, I um, work as an underwater photographer. So that's my, my job these days. I used to work as a marine biologist, but 16 years ago now, I, I stopped working at the university and decided to go freelance on my own taking pictures. And I, I've been doing that ever since. Um, there have definitely been some financially pretty, pretty thin years, but overall I can, I can, I've made it work. Um, and kind of the nature of what I do sort of varies all the time as I try and sort of cobble together some sort of income to allow me to do this for, to, as, as, a, as a job. But in, a, in a, a normal year when I can travel, it's, it's a job that takes me all around the world diving and you can't really ask for more than that. And I, I guess in terms of a career, I've always sort of, my goal is always to go and do the diving that I want to do and take the photos I want to do and then try and earn enough money to be able to, to, to live on that as opposed to maybe taking bigger money to go and take pictures or go and do diving that other people would want me to do, which maybe I'm not so keen on doing. Um, so I've always been sort of motivated by the experience and that's sort of, and, and that's sort of been the main thread of my career. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I do sort of as a photographer, I, I take pictures to sell to, to magazines, to books. I write books as well myself. And I also teach underwater photography. And these days, a lot of my travel is running workshop trips for groups of keen underwater photographers. And that sort of takes me all around the world. And then I use those trips um, to teach. But during those trips, I I can take photos and those photos I then try and sell after the trip. And I guess that's my kind of business model is I try and get paid to go somewhere and then come back and sell pictures from it. And that kind of allows me to sort of make my income and make it all work, if that yeah. makes some sort of sense. Doing what you love as well. It's- yes, and that's always been like the most priority is I'll only go to places that I really want to go to. I've never sort of taken, someone said, oh, come here and we'll pay you, you know, more money than you normally get. I'm always like, no, I want to go to where I love. Because I think as a photographer, passion is really important in your pictures. If you're not shooting things that you're incredibly passionate about, you're not going to make those special shots. And without those special shots, you're not going to hook people in. 
Yeah. And imagery is incredibly important to, to our world. You know, just about anyone, if they think back to what got them interested in the underwater world, it was probably, you know, images on TV, images in books, images in magazines. And then that image makes them read the article or listen to the narration on the thing. And then that sucks them in even further. So if you're someone who's in a privileged position to be supplying those images, it, the best thing you can do for scuba diving is to make those images as beautiful, as compelling, as must-see as possible. And then that sucks people in to want to, to get involved. Um, so I always knew I wanted to be a, a scuba diver because I was already love marine life and love snorkeling and love taking photos underwater. But I had to wait from when I was sort of in single figures till I was 14 to first do a try dive in the ocean. I did do a try, did try scuba diving when I was 13 in a swimming pool. And loved it. And I remember taking those first breaths um, out of the, 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 the regulator and thinking, I wonder if I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. And it has inspired, it has in fact, happened yeah. that I have done. And then I did my, my paddy open water when I, was, when I was 14 and have been diving ever since. I didn't do that much diving as a teenager. Um, budget and things like that limited me. But sort of over those years, I'd get some dives in every year with having no other diving family members, it was kind of a bit strange. Yeah. And I, I remember I used to go on dive, you know, dive boats on holiday on my own as a sort of 15, 16, 17 year old wow. and get butted up with people. And I'd sort of look really strangely, certainly like 15 year old was on a boat on their own, but that was completely normal for me. And I had my camera yeah. back then and I'd be, you know, wanting to take photos and things. And every dive was incredibly precious. And so, yeah, so I've, it's something I've done all my life. So you and then been diving as a club with a club in a club environment. No, I think one of the problems I had of particularly in those days is if you grow up in a family where there's no one else dives and there isn't the internet, it's quite difficult to even know scuba clubs exist. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would have loved to have joined a club at those in those days. And actually, I was growing. I grew up in in Devon, so I was in a great location for diving, mm -hmm. but just didn't know any other local divers or anything. So for me, diving was something I could only do you know, when we went on holiday, whether that was to a coastal area in the UK or overseas. Um, but it, it, it absolutely captivated me and I, I loved it. And I think I, I was also very budget limited in, the, in those days, as every teenager is, um, relying on, you know, on, on parents to, to fund sports. the bits and pieces I wanted to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I've been doing it madly ever since. And anyone who, who travels and, and dives with me regularly knows that, you know, there's few people who, will want to spend as many minutes in the water as I do every day. So it's <laughs> undiminished. Well, I think it's quite, I think it's uh, fair to say um, over the years it's paid off. I think it's fair. Yeah. Involved, yeah. yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I, I still, I still log all my dives and, um, and everything like that. So. Yeah. That was going to be one of our questions. Um, ah. You'll log your dives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So as a photographer, I obviously have my camera making a great record of all my dives. So I only ever kept a very basic log, which is date time, um, or, or depth and time, dive site name, and and, and the date of the year, of the year, yeah. and so my dive log has been in that format since since the beginning, um, and yeah, I, I like it, and it allows you to enjoy the milestones. One thing I do find with with all my friends is your dive number goes up much slower if you actually log all your dives. All my friends who've given up logging, they they do all their diving with me, yet they catch me up slowly because they're like, oh, I'm sure I did this many dives on that trip and this many on that trip. And their dive number goes up much faster than someone. Do you use an app or do you use the actual still? No, paper? piece of paper. It might yeah, even be here, actually. Let me, it, it's not very far. There it is. I'll just grab it from the shelf. 
I have like on the shelf, I have big um, log books, which I put these in, but I just use a photo album and I just write down each dive site name in the photo album, um, just dive site nine depth and time. And this is pretty much this year. So, so what number are you up to? So this year I've only done 135 dives, which for wow. me is very low. Mm. But that's because obviously it's not quite a normal year, 2020. And by the end of March, when I was still traveling overseas, I'd done 83 dives by the end of March. So I've done, you know, relatively little since then. And in a normal year, I do usually between 300 and 350. So some years I, I play a game where I track my number of dives in the year against the day of the year to see if I'm ahead or below the right. three six five a year average. But I very rarely break three six five. But if trips, you know, I don't tend to travel over Christmas and New Year. So often by the end of November, I'm ahead of the day of the year. Yeah. Not this year, of course. And then in total, I've done four thousand seven hundred and eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen dives. Wow. So four thousand seven hundred and fourteen log dives. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I said it. it could go up a lot faster if I didn't log them. I know there's some really good apps out there, but like, I'm like, yeah, I, I still keep paper journals, yeah. you know, and details. My dive. I haven't done as many dives as you, but there's something nice about, mm. you know, like this morning we were going through some of the dives in the Red Sea, and there's something nice about that. Where yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's part of your history as a diver, mm. and I think people give up just as their diving becomes interesting. Yeah. They kind of feel they have to log at the beginning and then they, they stop. And I would encourage people, instead of giving up, we should encourage them to actually just go over to a simpler logbook form and just keep it up because it is a lovely record. And yeah. I, as I was saying before, the main way I fund most of my travel is by running underwater photography workshop trips. And on those trips, I'm working with the dive guides on the boat to determine our, our diving schedule. And actually having a really in-depth knowledge of dive sites in an area is really important when you start. And if I hadn't taken notes during my sort of formative years, mm. a lot of the knowledge I wouldn't have now to be able to go, actually, this dive site, I want to dive there. And as a photographer, you maybe want to dive a site at a certain time of day or a certain phase of the, of the, of the tide um, during the year to get the best photographic conditions, the marine life, doing what you want. And actually ha building up that knowledge and keeping a note of it it is really important. So yeah. I, I, I find it really Scotland, useful. Yeah. Sorry? You just recently come back from your trip to Scotland. Yes. Yeah. So in a normal year, year, yeah, it was, it was great. And I think what I loved about it is that I'd really missed that feeling of photographers working together. I've seen a lot of my you know, friends and dive with them during this summer. You know, we've sort of, okay, uh, we'll meet you at the beach and we'll go and do a dive or something together. But it's not the same as being on a workshop together where you've got a group of photographers all there who are not just working to make their own pictures better. They're working to make the whole group's pictures better. So when you bring together a group of photographers, everyone's there. Everyone is sharing the pictures they've taken that day. Oh, I found this subject and I did this with it. And then someone else goes, that's great. But if you tried this, it could have been better. And just that whole vibe of everyone being united, trying to make all our pictures better is yeah. actually what I love most about running workshops. Yeah. And obviously I'm there to give some talks and hopefully guide that conversation. But I see all my workshops as this group experience and being able to get back up to Scotland and, and run one and enjoy that again. It was fantastic. When's your next workshop? Um, well, 
who knows? So theoretically, it should be next week in Indonesia, but that, that workshop's been cancelled for a while now. Of course. So um, it will depend when travel is possible. I would like to run some more UK dates, but obviously we're locked down in England at the moment, so we can't consider going diving. So we will see. But in a normal year, I usually run about one a month. So I usually do about 12 workshops a year, which is how I get up to 350 dives a year. Right. Um, so, yeah, so once things... What, what level What level of dive and photography you got to be for that? Um, it's end. not that there's any... There's no strict entry requirements in terms of gear or experience. But my workshops are aimed at, at really enthusiastic photographers. If you're someone who, you know, dives with the camera sometimes, but not all the time, it's probably not for you. It's the place where the people who are hardcore into it go and hang out with other people that they can geek out all week. I often joke, you know, at the beginning of the week, you know, this is the week you're allowed to talk photography a week without being told to shut up. So it, it's that kind of trip. But it, it's also good because photographers want the same things out of diving. Yeah. We often will go to an amazing area, but only dive a handful of sites, but dive them multiple times because the good pictures come when you spend time on a site taking pictures. Yeah. And so by gathering together and doing that, we, you know, we'll, we can control the boat. And if you can control the boat, you can do exactly the diving you want. So that's kind of the, the way we, I tend to run things. What level of diving have you got to? Are you, are you tech diving qualified? No, no, I'm just um, a, I'm, I'm an advanced open water diver with also with a, um, with nitrox obviously from, from, from a very long time ago. And I've also got the Paddy self-reliant diver um, because as underwater photographers, we're not always, we're a bit more focused on our camera than someone else. So it's a good way to approach things. But I, I've never been interested in teaching diving. So I've never developed my skills. Um, I, I do try and educate myself though. I think, you know, I have lots of friends who are very experienced photographers and we talk diving a lot. Um, so right, I know I'm not some, you know, it's not that I just did some diving qualifications early on. I thought that's me sorted. Um, I, you know, work on those things. And as an underwater photographer, your in-water skills are incredibly important. And I think that that's something that underwater photography is both good to encourage you to keep working on those skills, um, but it, it's, it's also those skills are really essential. And anytime anyone who's an experienced diver tells me I want to become an underwater photographer, I'm always really excited because actually what holds a lot of people back when they first try underwater photography is actually those in-water skills are not absolutely nailed on mm. and you know before you start taking a camera underwater you need to be sure that it's not going to endanger you and by having that distraction you're not going to endanger others or endanger delicate marine life or that sort of thing so being really nailed down with those diving skills is absolutely critical but it actually also pays you back in your pictures because as an underwater photographer your your camera's tripod your your hide in terms of approaching animals the smoother the quieter you are in the water the better your pictures will be every time you know um, land photographers don't have to worry about their bubbles you know their breath coming out and stirring up things in the, in the atmosphere or if they move their feet un, 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 um, with lack of coordination they'll stir up sand or open circuit? So i don't use a rebreather um, and there's a few reasons for that um, i had a lot of friends who used them in the early days of rebreathers and sadly, quite a few of those friends are no longer here. And I, you know, early on when they were becoming popular, um, my wife said to me she'd rather I didn't use one. And given how much she helps me and how much I go away and things, I'm pretty keen to follow her advice. Um, but 
also, in addition to that, I think for a stills photographer, great still images come from you getting all the settings right on the camera, getting your lighting right, how much thought you can put into your composition. And all that thinking time makes using a rebreather less suitable because you really need to put a lot of thought into your camera. Mm. I think for video shooters, for, for cameramen, cameramen um, shooting film underwater, where it's a little bit more get somewhere amazing and let it run, I think that their rebreathers are much more suitable because they'll likely to see more amazing things with a rebreather on. Yeah. And they don't need to be fiddling with the camera so much. It's a lot more just get, get it in front of something brilliant and press, press go. Yeah, it's a good point because that, those, that thinking time, you know, you're looking at your sheer water, you know, uh, mm. to see what your settings are on. Then you're looking on your camera as well and you're thinking, whoa, you know, that's a lot to, to do under pressure. Um, mm all at the same time and uh, got to be right on every single one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a new diver, I haven't even contemplated taking a camera <laughs> down because you need to think about everything else. It's yeah. a... Well, also you've been, been, you know, been doing a lot of UK diving this year, which is more involved, I think, when you can get away and you know, maybe do a Red Sea trip or something and suddenly you're just like, wow, this is all fun, 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 easy to get kicked up. You'll have that spare capacity to start mm -hmm. thinking about it yeah. and you'll... I'm sure the moment you can get on a, a liverboard or something, you'll be, you'll be going, oh, I'd love to be taking some pictures of this. And I think underwater photography is, is fantastic for divers. I mean, I think one of the most important things is, you know, as divers, we are the eyes of the underwater world. And every diver who's got a camera is able to share what they see. Yeah. And that's so important for inspiring others, both to get into diving, but also to care more about the marine environment. Yeah, citizen science, you know, it's, yeah. it's much more popular now. And, uh, all these cameras, logs, you know, yeah. locations and yeah, it's amazing and what that, they do. They? Yeah. Brilliant. yeah, and then also just just I think underwater photography, like technical diving, it's a great hook to keep people in our hobby. Mm. Yeah. And I think you know one of the things is lots of people try diving, but not so many stay really seriously involved in it. And I think underwater photography kind of gives someone a drive, a goal, an ambition in their diving, which for some people is a great way of keeping them interested and keeping them going. Yeah, keep um, focused, yeah. yeah, and I think you know all of us, you know, within our, our sport, need to make sure we keep that going because otherwise, you know, we'll become fewer and fewer, and it will become harder and harder to dive as it is already. As there's not as many dive shops as there used to be, it's harder to get gas fills in parts of the country where you want to go diving and and things mm. like that. And it is, you know, it's, you know, it is shrinking, and it's important that we we do what we can to hopefully grow it back up again. Yeah. yeah. So UK diving is obviously in the forefront of our minds now because we can't mm. travel and we've seen your selfie with a grey seal in the Farne Islands. <laughs> <laughs> so Great have, selfie. Have mm. you got any uh, favourite locations in the UK to dive in? Um, I, I love British diving and I actually one of the real blessings of 2020 for me is I've been able to do more British diving than I've done almost for 10 years and that's really because my diary is normally chock-a-block um, with overseas travel and I've been so excited to get back in the UK and you can't imagine you know you'll see if you see me out I'm pretty enthusiastic about marine life at the best of times but you know I'm someone who you know I've done all the big things like swan with blue whales photograph great white sharks you know seeing leafy sea dragons all those sorts of things but I'll come out of a diet shore dive in the UK going oh my god this crab was so cool or you know whatever it was so I, I've really loved it and what I love about UK diving as a photographer 
is your ability to surprise the audience is so much better. If, if I tell someone, oh, I've just been in the Caribbean for two weeks shooting, you know, on coral reefs, people expect to see beautiful pictures. When I sort of, you know, stagger up a beach after a dive in, in the south coast of England, and there are people sitting on the beach and they go, oh, is there anything out there? And I turn my camera around and show them what I've just seen. And like, yeah, you know, this huge cuttlefish is just, just over there. And there was a, you know, this, this cat shark is over there. And they're just amazed at what you've just seen. And if you can capture those as beautiful pictures, they're even more amazed. So British, British diving, I absolutely love from that perspective because the, you know, sadly, how amazing it is remains a shock to the British public. And hopefully by taking nice pictures, you know, you know myself and you guys talking about it and and everyone else in the diving world can begin to change that and get more people interested yeah so i love that uh, part of it yeah that's good to hear yeah so just a little interval from this episode ian and i work hard to bring guests and content across our podcast platforms social media and our youtube channel the big scuba would you like to become involved Become a supporter, a sponsor, a Patreon of The Big Scuba. There are several levels of contribution, the smallest being just $2. If you'd like to become a patron of The Big Scuba podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash The Big Scuba podcast. There you will see the levels of support. You can be an octopus, a dolphin, an orca or a mighty blue whale. Just for the $2, you'll receive a shout out on our next episode. We look forward to welcoming you to the Big Scuba podcast community. Right, back to the episode. And um, talking about, uh, you know, more photography, you know, you're involved with the Underwater Photographer of the Year competition. Can you tell our listeners a bit about about that? You know, what's involved and how can they take Mm -hmm. part? Yep. So um, the UK has always been quite a hotbed for underwater photography internationally. Um, Since the the mid 60s, we've had the British Society of Underwater Photographers, which is kind of like a a club that underwater photographers can join. And in the early days, that club was quite unique in the world. It's now the oldest club of, of underwater photographers in the world. And it was a real place where people could really exchange information. And as a result, in the very early days of underwater photography, the UK really sort of was one of the main movers and shakers. And during that period, we had a, an, or a, a sort of a, a competition every few years, which named an underwater photographer of the year. But by the, the 80s, that had kind of died down. And so about six years ago, uh, myself and a couple of friends, we had the idea we should bring this back because we don't have a competition celebrating underwater photography in the UK, despite the UK's rich history of underwater photography. Yeah. So we started this underwater photographer of the year competition again um, back in yeah, six years ago, 2015. And um, the aim was to have an international festival of underwater photography, but based in the UK. So it has categories for international pictures and categories specifically for pictures taken in the UK. It is aimed at the very best photographers in the world, but we do have you know, categories aimed at, at newer photographers and we have categories aimed at people with more basic equipment like, like compact cameras. But the, the competition as a whole is aimed at attracting the very best pictures yeah. and as a result gets fantastic press coverage. So we get you know, all the best underwater photographers around the world enter. And then every year when we publish the results, they obviously go in, in all the, the scuba diving magazine press, but they also go out in the mainstream media, which is something I'm really 
was really important to me. So all the big newspapers in the UK run the story. It goes on the BBC. You know, we had, we had the winners last year on the one show. Um, the international winners go on their own TV in their own countries. And it's just a fantastic way to showcase the underwater world, the diving world and underwater photography. So it, it's been a fantastic success. And it does take a lot of time mm -hmm. and it generates almost no money. But I'm, I'm very, very proud of, of it. And it's very much a team, team effort. I, I run it with, with a group of friends, which is Peter Rowlands, Saeed Rashid, Dan Bolt and Martin Edge, who are all underwater photographers. But we, we built something that's really special and it's really loved by our community. And so, yeah, and we're really, you know, really, really, really enthusiastic about it. It's good um, that you've got that because that helps keep, um, you know, people motivated to go out there and take more photos, to, you know, and it's almost like having the target, so to speak, mm, because you, yeah. you want to go out there and go, right, you know, what, and, and you also provide that medium of how you can actually publicize you you know taking a good photo there, yeah. yeah no it's very true and i think it's it's also fantastic as a photographer when you your picture is used it, yeah. it's great to have a picture and share it on social media and your friends go that's great when it goes out in the mainstream media everyone the number of people who see that is a is a you know is orders of magnitude higher yeah. i remember the first time i ever had a picture published in the mainstream media and I was, you know, getting like emails and text messages from, you know, people I hadn't heard from from 10, 15 years, you know, even parents of friends of mine from school going, oh, my God, I saw your picture in the Times today or whatever. And that outreach is incredibly exciting as a photographer. And mm. it's an amazing calling card for getting your name out to a really big audience. And so I think... Um, it, it, we always say it's the, the prize that money can't buy is, is the press coverage for the photographers. So it really pays them off in an individual way as well. And people enjoy the fun of seeing the other good people. now heard about this. How can they take part? How can they do uh, Sorry, I'm bad at the plugging. So our closing date is the 5th of January, 2021. Mm -hmm. And the website is underwaterphotographeroftheyear.com. And on there you can register. There's a small entry fee um, and um, you can upload your pictures. Yeah. And yeah, and we've got categories for, 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 for people, you know, because obviously not everyone listening to this is a hardcore photographer. There are categories for photographers who've never won awards before. There's a category, an international category for compact pictures, pictures taken with compact cameras or GoPros or phones. And there's a British category as well for pictures taken with compact cameras um, or phones as well. So, yeah, as well as the, the categories for the, the really serious players. But if you are new, do think about those categories too, because actually the best way to win a photo competition is with something really fresh. Yeah. And sometimes the photographers who are in the photography bubble all kind of think the same way. And it's often the outsider who's new to it, who comes in with a really fresh idea. And actually that's what tends to wow us as judges. Yeah, that is, and that is what you need. You need new, fresh ideas. And that's keeps, yeah, keeps yeah. evolving. Yeah, 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 and it's really important in photography because you know, Im you know, imagery is a great way of getting people's attention. But if you keep showing them the same image, they're not going to get attracted by it. So when people can come up with something fresh, it can really suck them in. So it it's why yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, no, that's good. So you've also got a book, Diving the Thistlegorm. So yes, yeah, it's a busy month for me, actually. Is, all sorts yeah. of things going on. So um, what, what is behind that? Why did you... So this has been a, a huge project for me, which has got a bit out of control several times during its, its, um, its period. The, the Thistlegorm, for those that don't know, and I'm sure most people listening to this know everything about it, is a, a British Second World War military, or is it a Second World War 
um, supply ship that was supplying military equipment um, to Egypt. And it had left the UK, sailed all around Africa, and was on anchorage um, waiting for permission to come in and, and dock in Egypt. And it got bombed um, by German bombers and sunk on anchor. And um, it was never, there's a lot of, you know, um, a lot of legends about the Thistlegorm. But um, it kind of became popular, to cut a long story short, in the, the first half of the 90s as a dive site. And since then has been one of the most popular dive sites of the world. Um, one of the dive shows, I was doing a talk about it years ago, and Paul Rose asked me, how many people do you think have dived it? And I was like, oh, I've never thought of that. And we sort of did a quick back of the envelope calculation. And we reckon it must have, just based on the number of divers that dive it every day, being quite conservative, reckon it must have had about 2 million dives on it. Yeah. You know, so incredibly popular dive site. Almost everyone who you know who's ever been to Egypt certainly dived it, and most British divers have been to Egypt at some point. When I dived it, there was ten other dive boats on it that day. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and, and they're probably doing two dives. Boat. Yeah, the night dive was just a, well, it's just this mass of bodies and fin, mm. particularly torches being shot. Yeah. And, it's like, and, and if you go 10 minutes later they're all gone yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is the key to the photography is you just watch what everyone else is doing and wait a bit and you, and you go um but it's uh, anyway I, I it was a place that i visited every year on my workshops and I, I think i've run 25 red sea workshops down the years with with photographers so i've you know been there a lot and I, although I've not really ever had any interest in marine archaeology, I ended up with probably the most comprehensive set of images of the Thistlegorm almost by accident because I just was going there a lot, running workshops and just got really interested in things. And what, what I learned was, was that actually the main attraction of the Thistlegorm, as I, hadn't, I shouldn't, haven't said, is that because it was a military supply ship, the ship is full of military equipment, particularly yeah. vehicles. Mm. And what was I, what was, what's amazing was actually that no one had ever really taken time to identify them properly. So for years and years, all of us, none of us knew any better. We all just said, oh, there's some Bedford trucks down there and, and that's kind of it. And that just sort of went from being diver hearsay to being in all the books and all the articles. And I was as bad as anyone going, yep, here are some Bedford trucks on the Thistlegorm. And then one day I bumped into someone who said, those aren't Bedford trucks. And it made me think, oh, my God, I've been photographing all these vehicles on the Thistlegorm for years, and I haven't got a clue what any of them are. And it set me off down a journey of going to military vehicle festivals all around the UK, showing my photos to, to experts there, looking at real and then actually seeing the real vehicles and finally being able to identify all the vehicles on the wreck. And then got together with some, some friends and colleagues um, who are Simon Brown, um, Mike Potsons and, um, and John Henderson, who are actually, or John's a um, university marine archaeologist, and they organized a big photogrammetry um, shoot or um, survey of the wreck. Photogrammetry is where you take thousands and thousands of photos of the same thing, throw all those pictures at the computer, and the computer builds you a 3D model. Of the, of, of the thing and they did this of the Thistlegorm and then they had the same problem as me they didn't know what any of the things were so we then began collaborating and um, with that collaboration it then became a book but it's sort of been a years and years of obsession from me wanting to understand more of this cargo and photograph it all Isn't it and record? it's ultimately become a book is there any record? yeah so I mean no. what's sorry Ian it broke up a bit there is there any records, you know, from like the ship's register? Uh, Not really. Um, there's some talk of some. 
and there are some records and the things on the records are definitely not on the rec and there's been a lot of guesses down the years and to be honest during the second world war in, in in england there were so many small factories producing things for the war effort yeah. that actually it's not a case that there was just one or two vehicles there was this huge diversity of vehicles and there's also a lot of vehicles on the wreck if you if i ask a normal diver oh how many trucks do you think there are on the on the thistle wall? and they say oh maybe 10 15 how many motorbikes oh maybe 20 or 30 there's actually 63 motorbikes yeah. oh no sorry there's 63 trucks and over 100 motorbikes um and so it's a lot, been a lot of work to photograph them all and it's quite a confusing place to dive the first few times and then you get to know and i can actually now on a piece of paper i can actually from memory draw the whole layout of the holds all the vehicles exactly where they are where all the motor i just know it so well it's embarrassing um and we've pulled all that information into a, into a guidebook which is coming out later this month with dived up publications. People did actually die in, in that, wasn't there? The yes. One yeah. The man, the gun. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Four sailors who died as well at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah, nine people went, went down with the ship. Um, thankfully, um, a lot of the crew was saved because they were sleeping on deck when the explosion happened and it was a nighttime raid. Um, and they were aware of the, the plane. So there also quite a few of them were awake, but the descriptions of the sinking are incredible. You know, the, because the, the bomb hit where a lot of the munitions were stored on the, on the wreck, she absolutely blew herself to pieces in that area. Yeah. And the, you know, the decks were red hot, burning. Um, you know, people got, um, one of the sailors got a George medal for his bravery in rescuing people, you know, going back instead of just jumping into the sea and saving himself, going and rescuing people out, out of it. So yeah, it was an incredible thing. I mean, you know. You just can't um, imagine the explosion, what, what must have happened because that blew the locomotive off, didn't it? Or the blue yeah, yeah. The two locomotives are, are, are way off from the wreck yeah. and are, are broken up still. And yeah, you think how heavy those are. And they both went opposite ways. It's not like it, it just fell over and they tipped off. They they went, yeah. yeah, incredible, yeah. And it's it's an endlessly fascinating wreck. And I have to say, the more you dive it, the better it gets. Yeah. It's and and it, it can be a challenging dive. And maybe people have dived it once or twice, not had good experiences. It's very tidal. So for half the day you get kind of green water, and for half the day you get blue water over the wreck, and you can't really if you book a holiday there you can't really determine which one you're going to get until you get there yeah. and then every other dive you either have strong current or no current because it's kind of got a six hour dive tide cycle so every three hours which is kind of the gap between dives you must have, uh, you must have seen a fair bit of degeneration with the wreck yeah i was diving uh, a lady who was uh, on the boat with me when i dived she dived it 10 years ago and she said to me that um uh she'd noticed that the rail that around the front, that's that's all gone. And yeah, she didn't said you know you should notice how much should, that actually started to break down. Yeah, so in in the early days of its discovery in the nineties, there was this fashion tradition. People really actively wanted to collect items from it to bring back as souvenirs. So actually, in the first kind of two three years of, of dive of of popular diving on the wreck a lot of stuff that was basically not bolted down or even bolted down got ripped off and that was a very sad period during it since then most of the damage has been relatively slow and a lot of superstructure damage has been done by bad tying on by boats and most of that has been ironed out now you still get the odd you know um silly boat um that doesn't tie in the right way but most of the boats are now very respectful but yes 
a lot of it has rusted down. Most, as you dive around the world and, you know, dived on Second World War wrecks, you know, everywhere from Norway to, to Palau, um, you see all the wrecks of that age are disintegrating fast as well. Yeah. It's not that it's, um, you know, so the physical is also of an age where it's going to deteriorate anyway. Um, but yeah, there's been a huge amount of damage caused by, by the amount of, of diver traffic. And that is sad, but I have to say, I think the, the positive effects that people have had diving on that wreck, the, you know, it is the most amazing scuba dive. And I would encourage people to enjoy diving on it. Um, Cause you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's one of the iconic underwater experiences for me. Yeah. And you can do it as a recreational diver. It's about, uh, about 30 meters from memory, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's 30 to the seabed. Yeah. Um, the, the lower hold is 25 and the upper hold is sort of 18. So, you know, you can even do, see all the, see motorbikes and trucks, even if you're just, uh, you know, an open water diver. I don't think they, they take open water divers there, but if you're only limited to 18 meters, yeah. you can still see all the good stuff. Mm. Yeah. And um, our friends Blue O2, they go there regularly and that's how I saw it. So, uh, yeah. Hello to them. So that's cool. Their calendar actually arrived for me today. I don't know if you, you've seen this is their calendar from their, their diving life competition. Yeah, that's right. And we will come to the calendar very shortly. We'll, yeah. We'll come to that in a moment. Yeah. So you've also got uh, your column is making its hundredth um, appearance, isn't it, as well this, this year? Yes, yes, yes. So I, um, I've written underwater photography columns for, I think, seven or eight different magazines down the years. And I currently write one in the UK for Diver Magazine and one in the US for Sport Diver Magazine um, right. each month. And the Diver Magazine one is, is reaching 100 installments this month, which is it's pretty, it's the longest I've ever written any column for. I've done a, a couple of 50s before and and i've done a 36 um in one and the others but this is by far the most that i've done now and yeah and it's pretty pretty awesome to 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 stay writing it for that many issues people always say you know don't you run out of things to write but it's i i have to say the list of of topics to do is always way longer than what's what, what i've done so yeah and it's 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 really it's, yeah, it's something i really enjoy um i might actually be able to um anyway um yeah so I wanted to do something special for the 100 um, edition. So what I, I decided to do is I, I wanted to, I've always written it and felt the column is very much part of the underwater photography community. And because it's in a British diving magazine, I sort of reached out to about 30 or 40 of the British underwater photographers I know well, who I, I respect. Um, and some are relatively new photographers. I think um, Jasmine, who I think you guys know, um, a little bit. She's um, in Norfolk. She, she was our youngest contributor and she's um, a t teenager still. And then all the way to some of the old school members of, of the British Society of Underwater Photographers. And I asked each of them to give me a, 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 their top tip for underwater photography and then weave these 30 or 40 tips together into a special column. So there's no advice from me in the hundredth one. And this is yeah, it's coming out this week. And um, oh. Because magazines are predominantly publishing online at the moment, it's yeah. actually free for everyone to read as well, which is yeah. really nice. Yeah, that's good. And then the outreach, you know, might be a bit further than, yeah, normal. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, it was just fun to do something different. And it's normally a three-page column, but the special one is, is eight pages. And um, so it's sort of got a bigger splash in the magazine, got promotion on the cover, that sort of thing. Yeah, excellent. So for divers that are just starting out with a camera, have you got any advice for them? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. First of all, you know, do give it a go. 
I think it's something, it's, you know, not everyone's going to enjoy it, um, but for a lot of people, it can be a fantastic hook and give your diving a real purpose. And it gives you the perfect material to share your experience enthuse others. So it's a really great thing for you to take on. The most important advice is to make sure your diving skills are sorted, first of all. Um, don't, you know, and for some people that comes really quickly when they start diving. Other people, it takes a little while longer. Wait till you're ready. You know, the camera, you know, is a potentially dangerous distraction on a dive. Mm -hmm. And because they're expensive, um, people often end up getting more distracted by them than if it was very, very inexpensive. So mm -hmm. just make sure your diving skills are there first. And then once they are, you'll find that those good diving skills actually make you a better photographer without knowing anything about photography. Yeah. Um, the golden rule of underwater photography is to get close to your subject, then get closer still. The less water you try and take a picture through, the better the quality of your picture. The right accessories for your camera also make a big difference in that. Adding a wide angle lens or a close focusing macro lens to a camera really transforms it underwater. And those accessories are actually far more important to how good your pictures will be than um, the quality of the camera you're using. So a relatively cheap camera with really good accessories will take much better pictures than an expensive camera with the wrong lenses. Yeah. Um, if you're diving in the UK, um, a focus light can really help cameras. It can often be dark on the dives. It's hard to see what you're framing and shooting. So having a good focus light is, is really valuable. And then the majority of underwater photos taken around the world are taken with a flash or, or two flash guns. So ultimately, as underwater photographers get more serious, serious, they tend to add one and then two flash guns to their rig. And that makes a, a really nice rounded system then. Mm -hmm. So yeah, getting those accessories in place, working on your diving skills and then enjoying it. I think the key thing for me as a photographer is to be passionate about what you shoot. And so find the love in everything that you're photographing you know I, i'm lucky that I, I go go away and get to see you know amazing colorful reefs in the tropics or fantastic shipwrecks you know in the pacific or, or wherever but i'll try and be just as excited when i'm maybe going on a, a shore dive up in scotland and the water's all peaty and we're probably only going to see you know some tiny little sea slugs or something but for that dive i'll be the biggest enthusiast about sea slugs i can be and if I shoot with that passion, I'll create photos that people want to look at. So that for me is, is, is the best tip. Is, is yeah, the best I've been on a dive where someone's had a GoPro. And mm. you know, it's a bit like when you uh, go to a concert and they're looking at that rather than looking around. So that their yeah. life is all in that little screen at the back and not, not what they you know, should be looking at or everything around mm. them. Yeah, I would say that's a very true criticism of, of most photographers in that I think for a lot of photographers, their pleasure comes from the pictures they're able to create by going diving yeah. as opposed from the diving experience itself. Yeah. So I think your advice is really good. You know, get your, mm. get your buoyancy right. As I've said to you, get yeah. buoyancy right. <laughs> get all that sort of thing spot on. Because you don't be near a reef or anything and you're crashing mm. into stuff and yeah. doing that. So yeah, no, yeah, no, and, you know, you, you, particularly I think as you become, get interested in photography, you do get fascinated by the marine life. And the more you learn about it, the more you want to conserve it, the more you want to be careful about it. Yeah. So um, do you find you're more, dry, you're more pulled towards the warmer climes or more sort of the colder waters? I would say the majority of my own favourite diving experiences have been in colder waters. Yeah. However, in a normal year, I fund my diving and uh, my living partly from running underwater photography workshops 
And those workshops attract people, not just from the UK, from people from all around the world. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to fill tropical beach holiday type workshops than it is. Sure cold you know. <laughs> yeah. So I do a lot more tropical diving than I do cold water diving. Yeah. Um, but I do, I think one thing a lot of British divers don't do enough of is go to overseas dry suit destinations. Mm. You know, lots of British divers got fantastic dry suit diving skills and then only use them in the UK. Mm. And so, you know, I've dived, dived, you know, Norway, Iceland, Canada, South Australia, all those places that are fascinating, you know, cold water diving destinations. And actually for me, cold water diving destinations are often more distinctive than tropical ones. The, the Indo-Pacific, the tropical Indo-Pacific, the, the region that kind of runs from the Red Sea right across the Indian Ocean, through the Maldives, through Southeast Asia and out across the Pacific to sort of, you know, Fiji and on to Hawaii. That, you know, is, 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 is more than half the earth of tropical water, but it's all kind of mixed together. So you mm -hmm. can see the same species from the Red Sea, all the way, you know, certain species go that whole range. Whereas when you dive in the cold water parts of the Pacific, they're all separated from each other from the tropics. Yeah. So if you go and dive in South Australia, the animals are completely different to diving off Japan, off Northern Japan, or diving in, in the Pacific Northwest of the States, off Canada and North America. And so one of the great things about cold water diving is it can be really rich, really full of life, and you see different subjects everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, you don't just get those same species turning up again and again. It's not, you know, old parrotfish and wrasse and, and pufferfish. You, you get all these weird different animals. And that's something I love about cold water diving. Yeah, mm. very diverse. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of your equipment, what sort of camera do you use or are you currently using? So I use Nikon SLR cameras. And for those who are geeky and watching this, I use a Nikon D5 and a Nikon D850 for my photography. Um, and then I have lots and lots of, of lenses and lots and lots of camera equipment that go through this more than I'm willing to admit online in case my wife watches this. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but no, yeah. And, but it's um, underwater photography equipment is expensive. And the trick is to, is to stay in the game for a long time and build up the equipment. Yeah. I think the other thing that is, it makes it particularly expensive is if you don't use it, if you get out there and use it and, and put the miles on it, suddenly the price per dive starts to become a bit more reasonable. I think if you, you know, so those are the things, you know, it's expensive to buy, so don't buy it all at once. And it's particularly expensive if it always sits on a shelf. If you can get it in the ocean and get using it, then it starts to, to pay you back. And the pleasure that it can give um, to people, I think is great, both, both creating those pictures and then beginning to share them. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair comment. Have you ever tried blackwater diving? Um, yes, uh, a little bit um, in, in the Philippines. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating frontier for photography. Yeah. As a diving experience, I think it would lose its interest for most people after a dive or two. Yeah. Um, I, I think if, you've, if people who've, who've been to Asia and done muck diving, which is diving over you know, black sand environments, which are not pretty to look at, but have some amazing creatures are in, it's a similar experience to that. Um, but with even less to appreciate on first viewing. Right. And it's really addictive for those with a stamp collector personality who want to see more and more rare things. Okay. Um, and Blackwater is just kind of an extreme form of those. So it's particularly popular with people who live in those destinations, who've kind of seen everything and are looking for something new to see. Yeah. And as underwater photographers, it is an amazing environment to create 
almost otherworldly images. The animals that you encounter there look like nothing else you encounter anywhere in the world. And that's very attractive to underwater photographers. Mm -hmm. They also pose against this beautiful black velvet backdrop of the open ocean at night. And so you've got this very photogenic situation as well. Mm -hmm. So it's very addictive for photographers. For normal divers, it's probably something that's going to have a less of an interest long term. Yeah. And you see all these little, as you say, all these little tiny little insects and yeah. all coming up from the deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the biggest um, migration on Earth is the, the, the DR migration every day of animals that live usually in midwater or deep near the seabed, if the seabed is shallower, rising up to the surface as it gets dark at night, feeding on the surface layer uh, uh, through the night and going back down. The reason the animals don't stay at the surface during the day is they get picked off by predators. Mm -hmm. So they hide in the dark during the day and then come up and feed on the algae that's been growing in the sunlight at night and, and a whole food chain that goes on from that. You mm -hmm. know, the, the small ones that feed on the algae, their predators come up as well and feed on those. So it's a fascinating window into the ocean. Um, but it's not something that's going to appeal to most divers, you know, unless they've got a camera, really. Nature always sorts things out, doesn't it? And mm -hmm. it has a plan, which is brilliant. We're back. Right. So what do you think to that, Jen? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, he makes you want to pick up a camera and take it underwater. He certainly do. And... Uh, He's done some brilliant stuff and, uh, you know, just awesome, you know, some of the clever clips that he's done and you think, wow, you know, that'd be really great. So, you know, gives you inspiration and uh, hopefully, it's, you know, giving people inspiration to pick up their camera as well and get stuck in. And um, the Blue O2 uh, photographs that he chose were brilliant, you know, mm. so was, you know the, the winners the photographs that they took were really great as well so hello to them um you know it'd be good to catch up with them at some stage you know but it was i can see why he chose the winners you know that's brilliant yeah it was certainly that's full of variety it wasn't just all underwater pictures it was above water as well it certainly is and actually talking about those photos you know blue our friends at blue o2 they are selling those calendars uh, so if you are interested in buying a calendar for next year, not far now, go to blueo2.com and order that calendar. Yeah, they're not expensive and they look great on a wall. No, that's right, they're brilliant. So uh, look out for that. Anyway, uh, so that was that. We just broke for a little while and Alex will be back for part two. Yep, so we'll have episode 48 will be part two of Alex Mustard's conversation with us. Yes, absolutely. Look out for that. Uh, don't forget, uh, look out for that phone. So that'll be coming out very shortly. Yeah, we, we can't wait to get your messages. Oh, no, it'll be really good. Look forward to that. Keep it, keep it clean. Keep it clean. <laughs> You'll be the sensor. So. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that's it. I need to go lay down in a dark box. I'm just back from <laughs> CrossFit. So, uh, yeah, time to go. And we'll speak to you all next time. Okay. Thanks for listening. Cheerio.